there are some things that are true, whether we believe it or not. Zach's about to put up here our core beliefs, and we're four weeks deep. Now, before he puts anything up there, what's our, what's our number one core belief? Put it up there, Zach. Bible is our guidebook. What's our number two? God loves us and has a plan for us. Thank you. And then, okay, right here, what's number three? All people matter to God. What is today? We seek to honor God in all we do. Now, hang on to that thought. And what's we next week? The local church is the hope of the world. Now, as you look at those five, go ahead, Zach, hit it one more time, please. As you look at those five, you come to understand that those five build on each other. Go ahead, Zach, click it one more time so we can get us all where we want to be and get ready to learn of what it means to honor God in all we do and how we can get it done, okay? Let's hold right there just for a second. If you think about the five core beliefs that we've agreed upon, you find that one builds on top of the other. For instance, if you don't believe number one, you're not ever going to fit in at Hueytown Baptist Church. The very basic belief is the Bible is our guidebook. But here, let me take it personally for you. If you do not believe the Bible is your guidebook, you will never come to a realization in your life that God loves you and has a plan for you. And if the Bible is not your guidebook and you don't know that God loves you and has a plan for you, then you will never accept the axiom that all people matter to God. And if you don't believe that all people matter to God, (laughs) why would you ever honor God with your life? And if you don't believe those four, then in your mind there is no real reason for the local church. It has no offer of help and hope. Those things work together. And yet we as a body have agreed together that these five are our our guiding principles. Gives us a pretty good road map. And when we think about them being our guiding principles... They, got, they have to guide us individually as well as collectively. So the question becomes, how do we seek to honor God with our lives? Well, I want to begin with another question. I just lost it. I want to begin with another question. Now, please, this is a very personal question. For those of us, those in this room, who claim to know Christ Jesus, who claim to be saved, if you will, we claim that we believe in him and that we trust God. For those of us, here's the question, are we truly doing our best to honor God with our lives? When we go to work, are we trying to honor God with our lives? When we go to the beauty shop or the barber shop, to Walmart, to the restaurant, when we take our walk around the block, when we encounter new people, are we really trying to honor God with our lives? There's an old hymn, and I'm going to be honest with you, all of you go, yeah, that was a great hymn. I never liked the music. Hated the music, but I love the text. The verse said, while passing through this world of sin, and others your life shall view. 
Be clean and pure without and within. And let others see Jesus in you. How do we do that? Most of us are tired of of hearing preachers pontificate. That means preach, Alan. Most of us are tired of hearing preachers say things like, you need to live for Jesus and give us no way to do it. So this morning, let's take it from the words of Jesus. And let me offer you three suggestions, three thoughts, three things that we have to come to if we're going to honor God with our lives. The first, it it hinges on the decisions that I must make. The decisions that I must make. Now, folks, please listen. We could make this one point Bible Study 101 because our Lord calls us to make decisions. In fact, verse 24, he says, nobody can serve two masters. You've got to make a choice. Who are you going to serve? No one can serve two masters. And yet Jesus is not the first one in Scripture to call us to a decision. The Old Testament is replete with people being called for decisions. I mentioned two of them for you. You can go back to the end of Joshua. Now, Joshua's a relatively old man now because you know he was 85 when he said, Give me that mountain. I'm as healthy as I was when I was 40. Don't some of us need to hear that? I'm as healthy as I was when I was 40. Now, give me that mountain. And so they gave him that mountain, and he took that mountain, and then he took over the leadership reins after that of the uh, children of Israel as they possessed the land. He's getting ready to pass off the scene and go to his eternal reward. And he stood before them. He said, guys, choose you today whom you will serve. March forward into the first Kings. Elijah standing on Mount Carmel against some eight, nine hundred prophets of Baal, priests of Baal. And he says, if God be God, serve him. If Baal be God, go after it. But... How long will you hesitate between these two opinions? I need to tell you something. You know my brain don't work right, don't you, Teddy? For a lot of years, I didn't know why he asked that. Why do you hesitate between two opinions? And then I go into the New Testament where James writes, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And what did that mean? Now, when you put those two together, watch this. A double-minded man, one translation says an indecisive man. Do you know how we get to be double-minded? We have two masters that we're trying to please. Here's the truth. That's why people who have one foot in the world and one foot in the church, they're uncomfortable and unhappy in both. When we, here's what happens if we're trying to please God and please the world. When something comes along, we hesitate. We halt between those two opinions and we decide which way we're going to go. That's why, an unsta- that's why a double-minded man, an indecisive man, is unstable in all his ways because his allegiances are unclear. You see, we have to make a decision. The Scripture calls for you to make a decision. Jesus says nobody can serve two masters, and if you try to serve two masters, you're going to become unstable, untrustworthy, unhappy. The decisions we must make begin with what we will do with Jesus. 
You go, oh, I know. This is a question that came all the way from the streets of Jerusalem when Pilate walked out and he says, okay, I find no fault in this man. What would you have me do with him? The crowd said, crucify. Some of us say, well, I embrace him. Well, do we embrace him? Some say, I believe in him and I trust in him, but do we believe in him and do we trust in him? For you see, when we come to the place where we trust Christ, it is a decision and the most important decision we make, but it is not the last decision we make. It is the first decision that we make. I fear. I I was sitting around thinking about this. I wasn't really sitting around. You know, we went to Florida Friday. I mean, uh, Thursday morning. And on our third trip to Walmart, men, aren't you envious? I was pushing a buggy and I was thinking about this, just kind of meditating on it as Deborah told me that I kept picking up the wrong thing. I just kept on moving through it. We spend so much time every week making decisions. We go to work and we'll make decisions. We make a decision what time to get up. We make a decision which way am I going to go to work today. Is the traffic going to be too bad? How am I going to get out of this traffic? We make a decision what we're going to eat, where we're going to eat. We make a de- I mean, the decisions go on and on. And here's my fear. This is what came to me this week. Could it be that we spend so much time during the week making decisions that before we come into a corporate worship experience where we know the Spirit of God is going to be loose, could it be that we have decided not to decide? Could that be the reason Gerald talked Monday night about the altars being empty? Could the reason be that the altars are so empty and nobody is making decisions for Christ today? Could it be that we have decided not to decide? And you know what? When you make that kind of a decision, you've just decided for the enemy. You've just given Satan a leg up in your life. You're giving him a toehold. And if you give Satan a toehold with your decisions, he will work it till he gets a foothold. And when he gets that foothold, it'll develop into a stronghold. If we're going to honor God in all we do, we have to make the right decision for Christ. We have to come to Christ and say, you know what? The truth is, I don't deserve you. I have sin in my life. There are those of us that here living in habitual sin, and God is not going to smile on you nor anything you do until you come to Him in repentance, which means you turn from it. You can't come to this altar and say, Lord, I repent, and walk out the door and do what you've always done. That's not repentance. That's regret. The decisions that I must make affect, impact my life. What will you do with Jesus? What have you done with Jesus? Have you by your mouth said, well, I trust Jesus, and by your life put Him on the back burner? Our decisions... 
The second thing that I would suggest to you if we're going to honor God in all we do is it doesn't just center around the decisions we make. It centers around the direction I must take. The direction I must take. (laughs) Where is your life headed today? Where are you headed today? Well, Jesus tells us, he gives us a road map to honor God in all we do. You'll find it in verse 33. And we're going to take it, those who are writing down, we're going to take it one word at a time. Watch this. He begins with the word seek. (sighs) Seek. What does it mean to seek something? It means to target it. It means to focus on it. It means to go after it. It means to think about it, meditate on it, reason about it. It means to put it as top priority in your life. You know, when you're seeking for something, when I'm seeking for something, you know what happens all of a sudden? Everything we do is there. We're seeking good grades. I've watched this girl. She works hard for good grades. And you're doing good, aren't you, Morgan? Is it good? Uh, The truth is, we were working through Deborah's house. She doesn't even know this. Working through Deborah's dad's house to find some papers that we so desperately needed, and I found one of her report cards. <sighs> she must have been the most awful student I'd ever seen in my life because everything was A's. Doesn't A stand for awful? You know, the truth is, whatever you seek, whatever you seek takes your focus takes your attention, and it works to the top priority of your life. So I want to ask you, what are you seeking with your life today? Stephen Covey wrote in his book, Seven Habits of the Highly Effective Person, he writes, begin with the end in mind. Begin with the end in mind. So if one day you really want to hear God say, well done, you want to walk on the streets of gold, one day when this life is over, you want to miss hell and make heaven. During this life, you want to find the full and abundant and meaningful life that God intended for you to have. Then you have to seek the right things. You have to seek the right. It has to be top priority. What is top priority of your life? Well, let's move on. Seek, the second word is first. (laughs) Now, we understand first. We understand first in Alabama. Hello? We understand first. If I'd ask who's going to be number one this year in football, I'd get Alabama, Auburn, Tennessee, Mississippi State, Florida, Florida. It doesn't matter whether they have a chance or not. All their fans want them to be first. Am I wrong? Want their team to be first. In fact, when we were down in Florida this week, I was sitting there with this 35, 40-year friend of mine, and the town where he lives is a town that we lived in back in the 70s. I remember working the radio, running the stats on air. As we followed that high school team all the way and won the state championships two years running, that's the history of that school. We were sitting there talking. He said, We had a 3-7 and record last year. 
I said, that's uncharacteristic, and without missing a beat, he said, and unacceptable. We know about when you want to be first, when it's unacceptable. But here's my question for you. All these sport fans, and I know not everybody's sport fans, but you'll understand the principle. How do you get to be first? Well, you better get the right coach. He doesn't have to be a $40 million man. Sorry, Alabama. You get the right coach. You get the right players. You get the right chemistry. And then you get it. You work as hard as you can. That's how you get to be first. Folks, we got the right coach. Maybe we got good players. But here's the question. How come it is that we think that we are seeking somebody first, seeking him first? How can we think uh, being all God wants us to be and honoring him is first in our lives when we put it last on our priority list? How come it is that we think we don't have to work for it? <laughs> Isn't it interesting today that ministry... Doing things for the Lord has now become, well, we'll hire us a staff and let them do it. Hello? You see, when we put something first in our lives, we put something first in our lives, you know what happens? It's that all of a sudden, other scheduled things fall by the wayside. Hello? Are you with me? Have I lost you or just made you mad? When we put something first, it is, it is top category. It's what we do. It's what we default to. Seek first. And you know what else he says? If we're going to take this roadmap, if we're going to seek first, we're going to seek first what? The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. Hey. Now, folks, let me, just, let me just be honest. We're just a bunch of Alabama folks around here, so let's be honest. We don't understand about kingdoms today. We honestly don't. We live in a democratic society, and we don't understand about kingdoms. But, you know, every kingdom has a king. But for the people Jesus was speaking to, they understood this thing of kingdoms, and the kingdom of God in particular, because they lived in the rule of kings and kingdoms. And they knew that if they wanted a good life, they needed a good king. And if they, got a bad ki- if they got a bad king, they would have a rough life. They had watched it all through the Old Testament. They knew that the king set the agenda for the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God. You know what's interesting about that? All through the Old Testament, you know what they were looking for when the Messiah came? They were looking for the restoration of the kingdom of God. You know what? Jesus came preaching. The synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all say that he came preaching repentance. And the kingdom of God is here. All through his ministry, he told, he told parables. He said, the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom is like. He came to introduce the kingdom to this world. Realizing that most of us don't understand about kingdoms and kings. I watch and read, as you know, and 
if I'm honest with you, one of the, um, one of what I would call term an expert, he would not term himself this. Experts on the kingdom of God is someone that's preached from this pulpit. His name's Gene Mims. He preached for us a couple of years ago. He pastors in Judson Baptist Church in uh, just south of Nashville. He has spent many years studying the kingdom of God. Written two books. Kingdom Principles for Church Growth and the Kingdom Focused Church. So if we're going to seek first the kingdom of God, we've got to know what it is. Would you agree with that? If you're going to seek something first, we have to know what it is. Well, let me give you the Watts translation of what Dr. Mims, how he defines the kingdom of God. First of all, the throne room of the kingdom of God is found in the heart of the believer. And then the kingdom of God is anywhere and any place where the rule and reign of God is tantamount through the presence of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. Wherever God is controlling, ruling and reigning in our lives. Now you go, Brother Jerry, that's everywhere. Well, no. Because when God rules and reigns, it's His way. It's not somebody else's way. Think about that. Let me give you one more personal word before we move forward. Do you realize, or maybe I should say you do realize, that you, that everybody, that I, everybody lives in someone's kingdom? You are living in someone's kingdom. And whoever rules your kingdom is the one that rules your life. It could be your parents. It could be your mate. It could even be your children or grandchildren. Or it could be your kingdom. And some of you will say, well, Brother Jerry, it's okay if I let my family control me. I mean, God gave me my family and they have to be top priority in my life. And you know what I will remind you? Don't forget the words of Jesus. No one can serve two masters. Seek first the kingdom, the place where God rules and reigns in your heart and life. But you don't just stop with His kingdom. It says, the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Think about those two words. His righteousness. Boy, what kind of righteousness is His? Perfect. Pure, holy. Right in every way. Brother Jerry... I simply cannot measure up to the righteousness of God. And I would say, good thing, good confession, we can't. But you know the problem with the 21st century believer in America and the 21st century church in America? We have come to the place that if we can't measure up, why do we try? If we can't attain, what's the use? 
He'll forgive me anyway. Well, maybe, maybe not. But please listen, folks. Here's why it's so important to seek His righteousness. First of all, the world will never see Him if they don't see us striving. By the way, if you set a low, if you set no goals, no standard, you'll reach it every time. Hello? That means if you aim at nothing, you'll get it. Did you know that if you, if you set your standard high and you don't get there, at least you've raised your level of living. If you set your, if you set your eyes on going to the moon and you only get above the treetops, at least you've shown people you can fly. You see, our Lord has taught us that we're not perfect. By the way, we're not perfect. Do I need to say that again? We're not perfect. I know I'm not perfect, but guess what? Now, don't anybody pass out. You're not perfect either. And if you think you're perfect, and you're looking for a perfect church, and you find it, don't join it. You'll mess it up. You see, today, for some reason, we have decided that to be in the family of God, to seek His righteousness, means that we have to be perfect in every way. Now, how would that square up in the New Testament? Can you imagine how crushed John Mark was when he realized that he had turned his back on the mission of the gospel? Can you imagine how warmed his heart was when Barnabas stood up for him against Paul? Can you imagine how it thrilled him when Paul wrote, Bring John Mark because he's profitable. Can you imagine how crushed Peter was time and time and time again when he fell on his face? Can you imagine how thrilled he was when he was called on to preach the Pentecost message in Acts chapter 2? You see, folks, we're not to be perfect. And the illusion that we try to give our fellow church members that we are is a lie. In fact, you know what James writes? He says, confess your sins one to another. Why do you do that? Well, I know why that is, Brother Jerry. So we can get the Hueytown hotline going once again. Talk about it. No. You know at the Hueytown hotline, you know where it should be on the other end of the Hueytown hotline? The throne of grace. You want to talk to somebody about somebody's failings? Talk to the Lord. He can do something about it. Your best friend... Our busiest phone partner can't do anything about it. Our Lord can. Seek first His righteousness. Live your life according to His kingdom. If we're going to honor Him, we need to seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. Could it be the reason that we don't find any more of His righteousness and His kingdom around is because we're seeking the wrong thing? Could it be that we've never made a decision about who our master is going to be. There's one more thing here that I that I discovered. If we're going to honor God with all we do, it's going to we're going to have to get in line the decisions. Have to get in line the directions, and then we have to get in line the distractions. We must shake the distractions. Hello. 
Now, people don't want to talk about this. I understand that, so I will try to talk quiet. One of the reasons that we don't honor God with our lives are the distractions. This world is full of distractions. Satan makes sure that when you start trying to give God your entire life, that there are distractions. Let me just see. This is not in the notes, so you get it for free, okay? You're sitting back there, and God begins to deal with your heart. You feel it going on. You think it's a coincidence that there is a child two rows in front of you that you go, why do they do that? Listen, bless God. God gave us children. Children are going to be children. Why does it matter? Put your eyes on him. Or maybe, or maybe God's dealing with you and one of the adults get up and go outside. Well, where are they going? Well, what's it to you? The truth is, is that Satan puts all kind of distractions in our lives. And Jesus speaks to them. Now, we can give them all kinds of names and everything, but he has one category. You know what it is? All these things. You read it in, that, you read it in your text. All these things will be provided for you. You say, wait a minute, Brother Jerry, he's going to provide that. Yeah, but it's all these things that keeps getting in the way. Now, are these important things or these bad things? No. Look at the screen. It's in your scripture, but look at the screen. Here's what happens. Hit it, Zach. You got drink and clothes and food. Oh, they're gone. You got drink and clothes and food. You know why you don't worry about these things? Because one day, these things, they're just simply going to be gone. They're going to be gone. Jesus says, why do you worry about drink? Why do you worry about food? Why do you worry about what you wear? Did you hear that, teenagers, young adults? Why do you worry about what you wear? Now, Brother Jerry, are you saying, I just want to get this right. Are you saying that I should just sit down and not worry about it? No, that's not what I said. I should just not, I should just not give any concern to it. I just sit down. Well, no, you can't sit down. There's no biblical command for you to be lazy. There's no biblical command for you to be a slacker. In fact, in First Thess- in Thessalonians, some of those folks got to thinking about. I think it's Second Thessalonians when I think about it. Some of those folks decided, "Oh, Jesus is coming back." So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to be a Baptist and I'm just going to park it and I'm going to wait for His return. And you know what Paul wrote them and said? That's fine. You don't work, you don't eat. Hello? Doesn't that sound kind of unkind? You see, here's the truth, folks. God has gifted every one of us. God has gifted every one of us with things that we should, should and could do, vocationally, avocationally. Here's what I'll tell you. When we give ourselves to, to honoring God and fulfilling His call and His giftedness in our lives, what will happen is that food and that drink and that clothes will be there. Hello? It don't come magically. It becomes because He gave you the ability to do it. You and I have no right to be slackers. In fact, if you read, I'm not going to tell you where this is, so maybe you'll go find it. It's in the Old Testament. And it says, go the way of the ant. The ant. Have you ever watched ants? As busy as bees. 
You know what else you should root? They work together. If I were to have a little ant bed over here, and I would put just two pieces of candy over here, you know what happened? There'd be a line from there to here. I can't speak ant. Anybody here speak ant? It's kind of like a couple of weeks ago. Uh, had it was last this this week. This week wasn't it, baby? You know where I'm going, don't you? Is that I was uh, uh, between Deborah and another woman trying to interpret, <laughs> and I said. I'm sorry, ma'am, not everybody speaks woman. And my wife, without missing a beat, she said, or understands woman. I think there was a message there. Would you agree with that? That's enough. But I can't speak ant. But you know what the truth is? Those ants, they go from their bed to the food and back. And they see each other going and coming. They carry more than their weight, and they work together to make sure that nobody gets lost. Go the way of the ant. Don't let the distractions take you out. Are you honoring God with your life? Are you seeking to honor God with your life? You have to overcome the distractions, all these things. Don't let them get in the way. You have to take that right direction that you seek first the kingdom of God in His righteousness. And it all is predicated on making the right decision. You know why you have to make the decision? Because you can't serve two people. You can't serve yourself and God. You can't serve your wife and God, your children and God, your grandchildren and God. There's another thing there. And I'm going to end with that thought. Once you make a choice, you'll love one and you'll hate the other. Not my words, his. You'll despise one and be devoted to the other. Who do you love? Who are you devoted to? If it's him, your life will be full and meaningful. And if not, It's going to be a bumpy ride.